In light of current events, we felt we should add a disclaimer and trigger warning to the start of this episode of the podcast. As bad timing of our production schedule would have it, the glorification of insurrection is fairly prevalent in the episode of SG-1, Season 1, Episode 12, Bloodlines. In, in our recap, if we seem rather blasé about the issue, please know that we recorded this all the way back in November. The events that occurred at the U.S. Capitol just a few days ago were a tragedy, and we in no way condone the actions of those involved. Additionally, this episode of the show addresses the killing of a large number of juvenile aliens, and while not human, they are acknowledged to be sentient, so if this is triggering for you, we recommend that you skip through the time frame of 4148 to 4255. Last but not least, please excuse my occasionally crappy audio. Thanks for listening. Coconut. What happens if I try to take your toy from you? You're usually a very good girl, and I would bet I could entice you with snuggles if I just take this away. You wanna come snuggle? I'm gonna leave this here and you can come snuggle. She looks scandalized. <laughs> She's probably gonna go get another one. <laughs> Welcome to Stargazing, a stargate-gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And every other week, we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, it's been a day. Oh. How are you? <laughs> good times. I'm fine. That's good. Just tired. Yeah. I hate searching for a new job to replace the day job the high school job when it ends and i also hate looking for a new place to live since we've decided we don't want to resign our lease here so all of that is fun so much and by fun i mean not at all fun but i'll live it's just a lot and i'm tired it's a lot (laughs) oh i have tea which is good because i am also a little chilly yeah i've been cold all day which is why i'm sitting in the bed with this heated mattress pad on because i have been freezing all day because this house is also really cold and drafty which is another reason i don't want to one of the many reasons why we don't want to resign this lease it's always cold and so i've been in bed most of the day but i am not drinking anything warm i have a seltzer and a non-alcoholic nice what are you drinking it's actually just saint Pauli girl very cool i had a Nothing nothing fancy in craft this time. Yeah. I had, well, I had a Schwartz beer at lunch, a fake, uh, also non-alcoholic. Because nice. I was like, this is a day. And if I had beer with alcohol, <laughs> that is what I would have. But all I have is this NA beer. So that is what I am having. Yeah, I was really tempted to just start on the wine, but I'm like, I've got so much grading to do, and <laughs> also it's a Wednesday, and not that I would normally care about drinking on a yeah. Wednesday, but I'm trying to be at least a little less yeah. monstrous and save it for the weekends lately, because I've been not as good about that lately. Uh, 9 a.m. on Friday morning, uh, 9 a.m. Friday, uh, Nebco is releasing BBA Stout Trooper, so I am going to have to be <sighs> nice. on my phone for that, because I need some of that. And and then you'll bring it here for our weekly campfire. That's my right? plan. As long yes. as I can get it. They are also uh, only open for curbside pickup because one of their employees tested positive for oh, COVID. Geez. So they're shut down and testing right now. Others. Great. Yeah. Great, great, I great. will still. Yeah, the yoga studio that I don't go to anymore because I don't go anywhere in public. But the yoga studio that I used to go to sent out a notice today that somebody had COVID in one of the classes and they had to do contact tracing. Oh. and yeah, see, this is why I don't work at a gym anymore. It's <laughs> a good call. <laughs> or teach yoga, for that matter, or do any of the things that I yeah. used to do. <laughs> it took me a long time through this pandemic to, like, fully detach from, like, all of my old habits. Because there's all this stuff I'm always like, oh, I want to do this or I want to change this. But you're so set in your ways that it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So now that I don't do any of the things I used to do like go to the gym or eat in restaurants Mm -hmm. I can do them like I'm trying to like flip so that I'm doing more reading than having the tv on and nice yeah so I'm trying to only intentionally watch things that I want to watch like our Stargate episodes or new Star Trek or Mandalorian and awesome and then leave everything else well i mean in the morning when i'm like drinking 
coffee and getting ready for work, I throw on like the late night shows and listen to comedy. But other than that, nice. yeah, I'm trying to be like read. That's instead. good. That's probably better. That's probably better than reading the news first thing in the day, which is what I tend to do, and then it puts me in a really shitty yeah. mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, getting your news through comedy is, I think, the way to do it. It is. <laughs> I think you're right, but. I should stop reading the news. Yeah, so reading more books is what I am doing now. Yeah, I am trying to do that too. Actually, I've been reading more books too. Yeah. So Coconut is going to come and chew on her Nyla bone probably loudly in the background while we talk about I this I heard thing. a little clacking. That, yeah, that was her <laughs> running into the room with her Nyla bone. And now she's going to chew on it for you and for us. What a cutie. I'm debating if I should kick her out or just let it happen. <laughs> but she's so cute, and Jeff isn't home yet, so she gets lonely That's out very there. very sad. She definitely has no other companions in the house. Nope, definitely no. not. Other animals, they don't count. No. She doesn't like the other animals. <laughs> she only likes the people. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> she tolerates Lily. She hates the cat. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Stargate SG-1 episode 12, I believe, Bloodlines. Mm-hmm. So this episode opens up in a tent. Teal'c, dressed in his Jaffa armor, enters as a boy laying on a bed is surrounded by uh, Jaffa men dressed in robes. The boy has on, a, I don't know, a shiny outfit and the shirt area... I don't know. I, I see the shirt area. The shirt <laughs> has a pouch hole with little flaps that look like his pouch, and they open up and reveal his pouch. I said, so yeah. gross. I said pouch a lot. That's fine. You did, and I hate it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thought of a person having a pouch yeah. just creeps I will me out. bet you really love this episode. I'm just guessing. No, I didn't. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I did not like this episode. <laughs> Too many people pouches. Yeah. There's a they've got a jar there holding a gold. Suddenly though, it is Teal'c on the bed rather than the boy. And the priest holds up the screaming gold. And in the distance we can kind of hear Jack calling Teal'c's name. Teal'c is extremely agitated as the priest brings the thing closer to his own pouch and screams as it is going in. It's just... Uh, just hated everything yeah. about this. There are flashes of the boy now walking amongst the priests in the background and Teal'c screams, Ryak! <laughs> A couple of times. Yes, yes, he did. Now we're in the SGC, not in this other place, which was apparently a hallucination or a dream or something. Teal'c is actually lying in, on a table in some kind of OR inside the Stargate Command. The rest of his team is watching from an observ- observation area. Dr. Fraser mentions he's coming around and Teal'c asks about the gold. And there's kind of a long pause before Jack is the one to through a microphone to deliver the news that they had to put Junior back in. <laughs> Fraser says he almost died and mentions that this drug didn't work. And Teal'c is asked what Ryak means and he says nothing. After the credits, we're in the briefing room and Dr. Fraser and Hammond and all of SG-1 are in there. Dr. Fraser says that Teal'c was running a high fever and his organs began to shut down as soon as they removed the larva. So whatever drug it was that they had developed to hopefully help him live without his global larva had apparently failed. But Dr. Fraser says that the upside of that is that they know that the larva acts as his immune system. So maybe if they can understand exactly how this thing can boost someone's immunity, they can possibly use it to help boost immunities here on Earth in, in some sort of manner. Hammond says that Langley's going to be disappointed that they won't have a Gua'uld larva of their own to study. But Tilk says that there is still a possibility because there are hundreds of larvae back on Shulak, his home planet that we <laughs> saw on the, the first couple episodes. But SG-1 is extremely <laughs> unhappy at the suggestion that they go back there where they are probably going to be shot on sight and everyone knows who they are because of all of the chaos that happened there in uh, episodes 1 slash 2. And Tilk 
gets this really angry look on his face and says, I will speak of it no further, and then just kind of leaves in a huff. And then Hammond dismisses him after yeah. after Tilk has already left. <laughs> Uh, but he also mentioned that he would not authorize any kind of a mission to Chulak, which is part of what made Tilk angry. Daniel's like, what was that all about? And and he also says he's going to go find out. I just wanted to... It's such a contrast. Tilk, like, putting this out there that he wants to do this thing. Him and saying no. And then him just accepting it and leaving. I mean, it's yes. just so different from... Anytime Daniel or Jack want to do anything, they just right. argue until they get their way. Yep, pretty much. I actually was going to say something about that later, oh, yeah. and I guess I'll wait. I'll wait until yeah. we get to that point. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then we see a candle and we hear a door knock, and we're in Tilk's room. Apparently, Jack invites himself in. There's some drum drum playing happening in the background as the camera angle changes and we see the whole room where Tilk is sitting amongst a half circle of candles and which I was very impressed with how fast he set that up. Because Jack was only a few seconds behind him and he right. had lit all these candles already and like was already sitting and like beginning his meditation or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, even if he already had the candles like sitting there in their formation, it would have taken more than just a couple seconds to light them all. I'm very impressed with this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> impressed. Speed <Yes>. meditation. <laughs> and I couldn't tell. They definitely go hand <laughs> yeah. in hand, meditation and speed. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if that was one elaborate candle holder or if it was a bunch of different candle holders. It was hard to see. Like, but it, oh, I don't know. I didn't look it that closely. Kind of, I didn't have time to go back and like examine it. I apologize. Yeah. But yeah. You should apologize for that. Because it God sort of it. reminded me of like a chandelier kind of falling on the ground in the way it was. But oh. it might have yeah, just been separate candle holders. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Teal'c is just silent. Jack reiterates that Chulak is not a good place to go. Teal'c remains silent. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, you know, is like, we're working, you know, we'll... I think he says, like, keep working on the drug or something like that. And then Teal'c suddenly drops that he's actually not concerned at all about his own life, but that of his son. And I what? know. And Jack, who did not read the episode description from last week, <laughs> is very surprised. <laughs> and it... Yeah. Absolutely no, no preparation no. on Jack's part for this. <laughs> and apparently Teal'c not only left behind his son, Ryak, but his wife as well. <laughs> yeah, I just forgot to mention her. And Jack's not really happy about this revelation. <laughs> he wants to know why Teal'c lied about having these ties, which he explicitly told them he did not have. And, you know, Teal'c, you know, starts to explain that he's vulnerable as a warrior if, you know, his family is caught by the enemy or whatever and jack's like yeah <laughs> um, absolutely that is what so, that means <laughs> yeah so he understands they thought they may not trust him but he's like how can we trust you now which is a good right. point yes very good point <laughs> Tilk is determined to go back to chulak alone if he, alone if necessary uh, and jack's like it's suicide and Tilk then explains that his son, Ryak, is about to go through the ceremony of implantation where he gets his first school implanted into him. And gross. yes, also gross. It's, <laughs> which I guess is their whole, like, yeah, it's how he's in, in, inducted into being a warrior in their culture. And Tilk does not want this to happen because the gold are not gods and he is, wants to free his people from them. He also mentions there are others on the planet that think like him that want freedom from the gold, and that includes his first teacher, Master Braytac. See, I thought that this was weird because before he really seemed to think that Apophis was a god initially. So if his teacher didn't think Apophis was a god, but Tilk did think Apophis was a god, then shouldn't he have reported his teacher in at some point for speaking blasphemy but then he never did yeah, i guess that... i was a little confused the, the timeline didn't really seem to add up to no me, but, but hey Tilk says he will not allow his son to be a slave yes <laughs> i don't know what that was very helpful sound effect for this scene 
<laughs> it totally matches the tone of what was going on. Very, very pertinent and relevant. To, yes. <laughs> anyway, back in the meeting room, Hammond and SG-1 minus Teal'c are all arguing about whether or not they should go back to Chulak. Hammond is, of course, saying no, and SG-1 is saying yes, and... They're trying to argue that they could gain more than just a single Gua'uld by going back there. They would be able to study the Gua'ulds in more detail if there's all these larvae there and maybe find their weaknesses. And then they could also find other members of the Resistance that could help undermine the Gua'uld power. And Jack says that we know there's at least the one guy there. <laughs> so, of course, Daniel says, well, if there's more, if there's one... There's got to be more than one, right? Because, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that logic does not track Daniel, but no. okay. <laughs> At this point, Hammond gets really angry and tells O'Neill that he needs to join him in his office. Ah. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> I don't know why that's my thing today. <laughs> you don't need to. It's funny. <laughs> more relevant to this scene than yeah. the last scene. <laughs> So they go into Hammond's office and shut the door. He has Jack sit down. Hammond is no dummy, so he knows something else is going on than he said so far. And he is basically like, this mission is not approved and you will go where I tell you to go. (laughs) And he dismisses Jack, gets up, and then finally, finally comes clean about the Ryak situation. And he argues that Tilt gave up his family, so they probably owe him something. And Hammond looks maybe a little less knowy, but we don't find out then, because suddenly the loud gate alarm starts blaring. Indeed. One quick oh, thing. Yeah. Question. Yes. Do you... So, does it seem like Jack told the rest of SG-1 about Tilk's situation, and that's why they came around from You're Crazy Tilk? That was my impression, yeah. That, I think it would make sense as to why all so of them changed their mind. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't mind. they lead with that, with Hammond? I don't understand. Yeah, you would think. I think that they were just initially trying to protect that secrecy so that Tilk wouldn't get in trouble for lying. I guess, but yeah. I think that maybe he realized that if they weren't going to let him go, let them go through without telling him that, that maybe he was doing this as like a last-ditch effort okay. to try to convince yeah. Hammond. I think... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So in the control room, Tilk is there in his traditional dress, so his, his Jaffa guard uniform, with his staff in hand, and uh, we see a shot of his helmet sitting on a chair, and he's preparing to head back to Chulak on his own. So he has, is dialing out the gate, which is why the alarm sounded. Hammond comes in and forbids Tilk from leaving, and all of the guards that came in with them are now drawing their weapons on Tilk. And... Jack is trying to talk Teal down and say, this isn't really how you want to be doing this, buddy. And Hammond says that he cannot risk Teal going back and getting caught with all the information that he has about the SGC and the Stargate program. And Teal says very adamantly that he would die before he would let that happen. But then Hammond randomly is like, all right, well, okay, you go ahead. Because <laughs> suddenly he says, well, that's what's going to happen if you go through the gate alone. So, okay, you're authorized to go with a bunch of other people. So this is where I was going to mention what a pushover he is for everybody in SG-1. SG- now also including yep. Teal'c. Yep. <laughs> they just... It's, it just seemed like such a sudden switch from, I can't let you go, to, all right, you can go. Yeah. But, you know... Bring your chaperones with you. <laughs> Do you think the other SG teams get this sort of, like, leeway with him? <laughs> I wrote that question down as well, and I don't know. I was wondering that. Because, wow, what a shit show that's got to be if all of the SG teams can convince him and persuade him as easily as SG-1. Like, <laughs> Also, like, what a great place to be stationed if you can literally do whatever you want and you can com- you can convince the commanding officer that, like, yeah, it's fine. Right? We're going to just do this thing, and Hammond says no, and then they just are like, well, we're going to do it anyway, and Hammond's like, okay. (laughs) That would be a pretty great place to work, because uh, you'd never get in trouble for anything, and you can just do whatever you want. (laughs) Anyway, since Hammond says that he's going to let them put together a mission, Tilk does agree to shut the gate, and the guns are put down, and 
Hammond asks when the ceremony is going to happen, and Tilk says that it will be within the day, so they need to hurry up and get ready. It's nice all you have to do to shut down the gate is press the escape key. Yes. <laughs> Very <Yes>. convenient. <laughs> the next thing we know, the gate is whooshing open, and the big... Whoosh. whoosh yeah. The big doors open, and SG-1 enters the gate room. They are wearing elaborate Roby disguises... Where did they get those? I was wondering that as well. Because <laughs> Teal'c said the ceremony would take place within a day. And those look like pretty well put together costumes. Do yes. they have them just a bunch of like just in case Jaffa ghoul disguises ready for these yeah, stealth missions? Or do they keep a wardrobe person on hand for just these situations so they can throw it all together really fast? Also a good question. I don't have answers to (laughs) any of that, but I thought it was weird. (laughs) Sam reminds Daniel to lose his glasses before they go through. Uh, Tilk's wearing his full headgear now, and Jack pulls off his cap and puts up his robe before he goes through, and then they go through the gate. (laughs) (laughs) On Chulak. Yeah, <laughs> These Chula. noises might just be my version of like a period. I don't know how I end sentences now with weird noises. I don't know. But we're on Chulak. Are we on Chulak? We are on Chulak. Okay. On Chulak, there are guards and priests standing at the gate. I guess that they're kind of keeping watch over who comes and goes through this gate. So Tilk explained that. These are scholars from the court of Apophis that he's guiding and that he's come to take them to the temple. And the priest asks why Tilk isn't showing his face since he has his helmet on. And he says that his helmet was damaged in a fight, so he can't open it. So the priest offers to help and reaches for the helmet and Tilk grabs his hand, apparently very painfully, and says, how dare you try to touch me? But then also all of a sudden turns around and says, nice job with your vigilance and I'll make sure that you're (laughs) rewarded for that after... You know, like, almost breaking the guy's hand and yelling at him. That's how they do. (laughs) Yeah. So the priest looks pretty pissed off at this whole exchange, but SG-1 continues on their way anyway. Yeah. And then they're in the forest. They've changed out of their their robes, or I guess taken the robes off. I assume their clothes were just underneath. And hide them in the bushes. (laughs) Because they didn't have a lot of stuff with them, so. (laughs) No. But why does it make sense that they would be taking their disguises off? Like, I know that they needed to be disguised when they came in, but they're they're planning on, like, looking for more people. And what if they run into more people here in the woods? Why would they take off their disguises? That makes no sense My reasoning for that in my head uh, was that they are, one, they're more comfortable in their own gear. And two... Uh, I feel like they're going more for hiding now versus trying to talk to other people, which they Mm. might be way more obvious and try to have to bluff their way through other situations that they don't need to if they just hide from people. Yeah, that's true. But the the robes that they're wearing are pretty kind of earth tony so I don't know that their all black fatigues are necessarily more hidey than these kind of dark gray mottled robes but you're probably right probably easier to pull out your gun too that is true they do like to pull out their harder, guns harder to pull out your gun <laughs> they do like to pull out their guns and harder to reach it if it is under a robe that's a good point their plan is to go to teal's house that was that scene <laughs> yeah that is that is that scene at teal's house the team runs up to find that the house is completely in ruins. It is built of stone, but the roof is gone and there are beams that have collapsed. And apparently there was a fire of some sort. And Tilk mentions that it was a gift from Apophis for his many years of service. And as he's walking around, he comes around the corner and looks up and falls on his knees and starts crying. And when the rest of the team follows him, they see that there's a big kind of white stenciled looking sword on it. Except that it can't possibly be stenciled because it's like 20 feet tall, but it looks like it's stenciled anyway. I guess they had a giant stencil (laughs) that they put up just for this purpose. Daniel asks what the marking mean, and Tilk says basically that it's the mark of a traitor. Sam says they might not have even been inside when this happened, and they could still be off somewhere else perfectly fine. Tilk goes in and starts throwing beams around, and O'Neill comes in to try to calm him down a little bit and says that Carter's probably right. We don't really know what happened. 
And then all of a sudden a guard comes up and yells at them. But hooray, it's apparently Master Braytok and Tilk and Braytok hug. And Braytok says, well, this is pretty dumb because if I was the enemy, you'd be dead. And Tilk asks where his wife and son are. Braytok says he's told that they're okay and that he had apparently been watching the house because he thought that Tilk might be home in time for the ceremony. But I was... What made no sense to me here is that how would Braytac know that the ceremony was going to be happening if he didn't actually know for sure that they were okay? How would he know that this ceremony was scheduled? Maybe. Because it sounds it was apparently scheduled last minute, too. Yeah, maybe he. And also, how would Tilk know that it was scheduled for that matter? Because. I think it, maybe it's an age thing, but I also don't know exp- yeah. like how you know exactly the day. Maybe they are very, very precise with their coming of age ceremonies that yeah. they have to be done at age i don't know how old this kid is i don't know kids ages age like 422.975 at this exact hour and date we do the thing i don't know yeah yeah could be yeah tilk says well if you were waiting here then there are probably others looking for me here too but braytac says that they don't know you as well as i do so i guess braytac figures that he's the only one that would really know that tilk would be coming back nobody else would think he would be gutsy enough to do it but Braytac's pretty unhappy that Tilk brought a bunch of randos <laughs> with him so Tilk introduces everyone and Braytac gets super angry and says that it's pretty ridiculous that a woman and a nerd like this that could essentially be broken like kindling <laughs> were involved in this overthrow of or attempted overthrow of the gold and then he takes Daniel's hand and yes. bites it <laughs> okay <laughs> which is weird yeah. <laughs> is not impressed <laughs> no <laughs> so Braytac calls them a hashik and he's like what is that and Braytac yells at him asking if he's challenging him so Braytac turns to attack but O'Neill disarms him pretty readily and knocks him down and points Braytac's own staff weapon at him and says if you don't want us here why don't you just say so so at this point Braytac, who's on the ground, starts laughing and tells Tilk that he chooses his friends really well, but if it was 100 years ago, the fight would not have been so easy. <laughs> so O'Neill's like, oh shit, you're 100 years old? I'm so sorry. God, I'm sorry. And is uh, apologizing profusely as he tries to help Braytac up. But then Braytac grabs his hand and does like this funky maneuver with his legs and throws O'Neill to the ground and then very nimbly jumps up himself. And uh, reclaims his weapon, and Braytac says that he's 133 years old, apparently. And O'Neill's like, good job, you must be working out. <laughs> Aw, we're all friends now. We are all friends also, now. Sorry, I know there's more to this, but it was yeah, super fine. cute when uh, Teal told uh, Braytac that they were uh, warriors of great skill and c- cunning, and Carter yes. smiles and is like, aw. <laughs> Teal. But that died immediately. But it was so cute. And I was... Yeah, it was very cute. She's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> It was very cute. So Braytac starts talking about the fact that no one has defied the gold before and lived to tell about it. So there are, were, uh, there was a lot of talk about what the people from Earth, what the warriors from Earth had done to the gold. Tilk asks if he could be taken to his wife and son. And Braytac says that they are krishna now though so they're known as outcasts in the society and outcasts live in the camps outside of town and apparently there's a bunch of them but he doesn't know exactly which one they're in so they're going to have to search for them o'neill tells sam and daniel that they should go back to the gate to kind of keep an eye on things and be ready for cover fire if and when the time comes for that and that they are to wait for 24 hours and if they're not back by then then they're not coming back so sam and daniel should just go on home without them at that point Tilk says that if they're discovered, then Jack's going to be brought before Apophis with them. And O'Neill says that they'll cross that bridge when they come to it. And Braytac is like, no, the bridge is too well guarded. <laughs> Which made that me giggle. Very silly. <laughs> so after a little bit of discussion and de- and clarifying what a turn of phrase is, they all set off to their, their various locations or the, to their various destinations. Jack, Tilk, and Braytac are walking. Jack's like, I'm in charge. And Braytac's like, no, you just follow us. <laughs> They're having a little bit of a chat about Earth. Braytac's asking about, you know, are there no gods on your Earth? And Jack's trying to explain Earth gods <laughs> to him. That they 
they do believe in a god, but not everybody believes in the same god, and nobody believes in a god the way that a Gould is a god to the Jaffa, because we don't have glowy-eyed snake men walking amongst us. <laughs> um, yes, indeed not. Braytag is like, then you serve no one, which apparently your religion is everything to these people. Yeah. Which I know there are people who are like that on Earth as well, but I am not one of them. Um, and Jack's like, I serve the SGC and General Hammond, who he says is a bald man from Texas. <laughs> a very good, very yes. bald man <laughs> from Texas. <laughs> to <Yeah>. clarify. <laughs> Elsewhere in the forest, Sam and Daniel are heading back to the gate and talking about how hard it must have been for Teal'c to be worrying about his family but not be able to talk about it to anybody. And up in the distance, they see a few priests heading towards them. So they jump off the path and go hide behind some trees. And as the priests get closer, we see that they're carrying this long kind of metal bar in between two of them. And hanging from that metal bar is this large pot suspended from a chain. I don't really know what it is. But all of a sudden, we hear these loud gong noises that Sam and Daniel decide it must be a church bell. And so Sam is like, I haven't been to church in a while, so... That is the end of that scene, but it's pretty apparent that they're going to go off and ignore their direct <laughs> orders to go and follow after this thing. So really, it is just total chaos that SGC. Just like nobody <laughs> listens to what anyone else tells them to do, and everyone just does. She their is own just thing. taking her example from her commanding officer. She <laughs> is. <laughs> Jack, Braytac, and Teal'c have made their way to the outskirts of a camp. And the people in the camp spot them and start screaming and scattering. I guess because they're Jaffa warriors and these people are outcasts. I guess that makes sense. Yes. I guess so. I was a little confused as to why they were screaming too, but I guess that's why. Maybe they're menaced by the the warriors after they're out. They're cast out. I don't know, but could be. Tilk spots a tent kind of off on the other side of the camp. That's a little bit outside of it and makes a run for it scattering yes. more people as he goes <laughs> i like to scatter people as I go. <laughs> and he like books it like i like they were jogging earlier in this episode but he like boom and they come to sort of the inside i guess it doesn't have a roof so i guess it's not it's yeah just, it's just <laughs> curtains what the curtains <laughs> yeah. so quote inside uh, <laughs> behind the curtains. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the curtains. Not, Not the, the curtains. curtains. <laughs> so, beyond the curtains. <laughs> there's a priest who's holding some sparkle bling over Ryak's couch, which I was surprised to see. I didn't know any uh, anyone besides the gold had any sparkle bling. Yeah, I thought it was only supposed yeah. to be them as well, so I was yeah. also surprised. But there he is, over the pouch. Pouch, pouch, pouch. <laughs> You're the worst. I know that. You're just making up for all of the clacky <laughs> keyboard noises I put in the episode I just edited and made you listen to. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, Teal'c enters and tells the priest to stand aside. The priest recognizes him as Teal'c the traitor, and he grabs this double-bladed knife thing. And, uh... Very priestly. Yeah, and Teal'c, Teal'c drops his weapon and is like, I don't want to hurt you, but I'm not going to let you touch my son basically but the priest charges at him maybe it's a different culture you know priest fight who knows yeah they struggle over the knife uh while a third figure figure in a robe enters and jumps on Tilk's back Tilk manages to throw off the priest who lands on a table knocking over a fishbowl it's not really a fishbowl but that's what i'm calling it yeah and then he manages to throw off the other person and there he's got them on the ground struggling and pulls off the robe and <gasps> oh it's a woman it's not just a woman it's his wife Braytac and jack have entered by then so he's like this is my wife ryak Dreak. oh my right. god yeah <laughs> this is yeah this is teal's wife did you recognize her no did you oh 
Yeah, she. I don't know if you've ever watched Eureka, but she plays a character named oh, Allison I, in Eureka. It's a good show. I, I like plan that show. to. I remember not liking the end of the uh, series, but most of the series. I plan really to good. one day watch Eureka, but it is yeah, at some point in the vague future. That's fair. Then we see the priest is laying motionless, and they turn him over, and it turns out he managed to stab himself with his double blade, so he dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> And the Gould is also <laughs> nearly decapitated, so it is also dead yep. uh, by the shards yep. of the broken fishbowl. Dreyak is very angry at this turn of events. She had apparently asked, begged this priest to come give Ryak a gold. And Tilk's like, I wanted my son to taste freedom. And she's like, actually, you've cemented his death. Boom. Way to go, Tilk. So while Jack and Braytac are disposing of the dead priest in the woods. <laughs> Just going to yeah. leave him over there. <laughs> Teal and Dreyak uh, continue their discussion. She explains that they've been shunned even by the outcasts. Um, and they have, you know, ugh, oh my god. Um, Dreyak says they've been shunned and even by the outcasts here. They're not having a good time. Teal has abandoned and betrayed them she says she's worked hard to kind of get the banishment lifted so she can return to the city so she's been trying to prove she's loyal to the priests tilk is fighting back against this you know the gods are false gods and you know you want to return to the city it's more for you than for your son it's it's not a good fight they're not uh it's not it's not not great no no, it's messy. And I'm sorry I'm very disjointed because that's how I go. <laughs> there was a lot of it yeah. was a lot of And talking. when he says that though, she hits him. She gives a little slap. Yes. It, it was not like a huge hit, but you know. And she reveals that Ryak thinks Teal'c is dead and she tells him to bring him back to the hovel he now <laughs> calls his home and Teal'c picks him yes. up and takes him out of there. She also specifically says that she will let Raya, uh, that, that Teal'c will have to witness the dishonor in his eyes when he finds out that his dad is still alive. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's super harsh. Yeah, she's real angry. I don't blame her. I yeah. mean. She no, she did. I mean, he did abandon them. And yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Elsewhere in the forest, Daniel and Sam are continuing to follow the priests and the priests come up to this big church-like building which is where the bell is ringing from and the priests stop at this big tank full of hagfish which also freaked me out because mm -hmm. i hate hagfish and they scoop up the presumed larva out of the hanging thing they don't actually show it but it's pretty obvious that they're yeah. just putting something into the tank so we can kind of guess that it's a larva that they're putting into the tank and then sam says well let's go have a closer look back at the outcast camp. Teal'c and Dreyak are uh, tending to Ryak who has a rash all over and keeps coughing. Ryak wakes up though and recognizes Teal'c as dad and there's a moment where they hold hands and it's very nice and he's like I knew you weren't dead. Apparently Ryak has been sick since they were cast from their home and if he doesn't get uh, gold he will die. Jack and Braytac join and Jack recognizes that Ryak has scarlet fever which I didn't really... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you would know that. I I mean, there, there are some telltale signs, but you can't tell me that Jack, who has no science aptitude, as he freely admits, happens to know the signs and symptoms how, of scarlet fever. How, how frequently do people get scarlet fever? Nowadays, not. Very. Yeah. Alyssa was wondering, like, oh, because I was, I was just, I glanced at the Wikipedia page just before because I was like, oh, yeah. it's caused by strep. What? Yeah. So, I mean, most people are treated for their strep. So, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah. Most people get a, get treated for their strep throat before yeah. it turns into scarlet fever. I mean, like, back before antibiotics were a thing, it used to be yeah. really bad um, and, and could be very dangerous. Also, like, if these people were taken off of Earth thousands and thousands of years ago, Scarlet fever is caused by, like, a specific species in the Streptococcus genus. Pyogenes, actually. Mm. I did look it up because I didn't know off the top of my head. But, like, it would not likely... They would not likely have, like, the exact same species of bacteria because there would... Bacteria evolve pretty mm. quickly, can evolve pretty quickly because they get a lot of... They divide quickly. Uh, and so 
you would have had probably streptococcus-like bacteria, but they wouldn't be the exact same bacteria that we have yeah. on this planet. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, well, anyway, Jack knows scarlet fever for reasons. Um, and yeah. he has a packet of powdered medicine of some kind that he puts in some water and stirs around and has Ryak drink it. And says, you know, this won't cure him, but there's a possibility earth medicines such as antibiotics could save him. So if they can get through the Star- Stargate, there may be a way to save Ryak that doesn't involve implanting him with a junior of his own. <laughs> Indeed. Back at the hagfish tank, Daniel confirms that they are, in fact, hagfish, a.k.a. gold larvae. It's basically like a gold kind of giant urn thing that's got clear glass sides, so it really does just look like a tank yeah. and the things swimming around, and it really do look exactly <laughs> like the hagfish tank that I used to have to take care of that I hated. So Sam asks, well, why would they just leave them out in the open like this? And Daniel says, well, they're really revered. Who would want to steal one? And Sam's like, well, we do. <laughs> so she very, very reluctantly reaches in. She counts to three and doesn't manage to nerve herself up to do it. And so then Daniel's like on four and they say four and she manages to grab one out. And this was pretty much me anytime I needed to Aww. clean the hagfish tank. So... This scene, this scene was very close to my heart and really stressed me Sorry. out for that reason. <laughs> because I hated cleaning that tank so much. Except that I was usually only pulling them out if they were already Ugh. dead. And then the rest of the time I was just sticking my arms in while I tried to clean the tank. And then I was trying to dodge them in horror as they would swim at my arms. Because I didn't want them touching me because they were very slimy and they smell very bad in their oh, ears. That does not sound fun at all. <laughs> No, so this is another reason why this episode is freaking me out. <laughs> so anyway, they manage to get one and Sam sticks it in a thermos and then they go to leave. But Daniel hesitates and we hear him cocking his weapon. And Sam asks what he's thinking. And he says he's thinking about the fact that someday every one of them is going to take a human life. But Sam points out that at this stage, they're pretty vulnerable and helpless. So to destroy them all would be would make them no better than the Gua'uld. So she convinces them to go and they start to walk away. And then he turns back and fires, destroying Ooh, the tank Daniel. and killing all of these intelligent infant beings, which yeah. I was, I was, I, yeah, I had problems with the scene, first of all, because these are theoretically supposed to be helpless, intelligent creatures, like intelligent right. as people or more so. So it's almost like destroying a bunch of little kids, yeah. which freaked me out. And then watching them flop around also freaked me out so i just hated everything yes. about this scene also and i actually literally felt nauseated watching them i'm flop very around. sorry <laughs> i was i was glad that they cut away from it pretty quickly yeah. it's fine but it, yeah yeah that's, it was not yeah. it was not great <laughs> nope the rest of their team is walking in the root woods uh tilk has ryak in his arms but then they stop and put him down and it turns out ryak's not breathing anymore which is not good they seem pretty sad for a moment, and then Tilk decides he's going to give him his gold hagfish. Start calling him hagfish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's easier to say than gold yeah. or gold yeah. or whatever you but want. But then, to I, then <laughs> I do like the, the fun random pronunciations. <laughs> True. Because I've noticed we both can pronounce it differently, well, as does everyone yeah. in the show. We'll, so. just, we'll just mix it up. We'll just throw hagfish in as yeah. another alternative. Yeah. Hagfish in for fun. And Jack, you know, like, dude, you can't live without this. And Braytac's like, actually, he has a right to do this. He's the father of this child. He said it much more succinctly than I just did. Yeah. It is a father's right. I like to babble. And <laughs> Braytac is a man of few words. No, that's Teal. Yes. But Braytac, too, probably. Well, yeah. they both are. I feel like few words, yeah. but poignant words. Yeah. So Teal strips off his armor and opens his pouch and you know he does the thing <laughs> yep hated yeah, this. he's you know he he says he's sorry for doing this but it's to save his life his school creepily pops out uh, we hear the shrieks <laughs> but we are spared the image of it going into his son until it's like forgive me yeah that was that was sad i mean that's these were a rough couple yeah, scenes for me. <laughs> yeah. 
it's gross, but then also it's really sad because Teal'c is the one who actually just enslaved his son for life. So right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was very sad, but gross. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Very gross. Elsewhere in the forest, Dan... Dan. You uh, guys are good friends. Forest, you can call him Dan. Daniel. <laughs> we're, we're besties now. We're, we're not on first name basis. We're on nickname basis. Yeah. Elsewhere in the forest, Daniel and Sam. There we go. Not Dan and Samuel. <laughs> Elsewhere in the forest, <laughs> Daniel and Sam are walking along and Daniel is wondering if these things need to be fed. Meaning the hagfish. Hagfish do need to be fed, by the way. I fed them. What What do they eat? They actually eat dead things, uh, rotting rotting carcasses. Would they eat their own dead things? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Of course. They eat they eat dead and rotting flesh typically. Although I did not feed them rotting things, I would feed them like pieces Ugh. of fish. But out out in the actual like bottom of Long Island Sound, where you would typically find them, they eat like decomposing carcasses and stuff. Which gross. Yeah. Okay. Important job. Yeah. Someone's got to do it, but that just makes them that much all more right. disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden they come under fire, which isn't too surprising because that gun that they just used was not very stealthy. No. So they've been noticed by the people of Chulak, and they go and hide behind a tree, and Sam throws a grenade at them, and that takes out everybody. <laughs> very effective. <laughs> yes, quite effective. So they head back to the gate. Meanwhile, Ryak has, is starting to heal while Teal'c is starting to fade. Teal'c asks Braytac to hear his will. Jack tells them to hold on because Sam and Daniel have just arrived. They explain Teal'c's problem to them. and they, uh, Sam and Daniel conveniently have this one hagfish that they were going to study, but I guess Teal'c can have it if it's that important to him. They don't say that. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> they they say they stole it from the monastery and Freytac is like you dare steal from, from the Freytac and Dryak are both yeah. horrified and I, was, I mean and yeah Dryak's like sacrilege and yeah. I get I got I got Dryak because she's I think she's still a little bit of a believer but I was a little confused yeah. about Braytac, but also maybe he was just like you idiots yeah <laughs> but I was also I was also thinking, well, it's a good thing they didn't mention that not only did they steal this one, but they also <laughs> killed all the other yeah. ones and destroyed their little home. <laughs> they, they left out the mass murder. Um. <laughs> yeah, but there's no repercussions for Daniel, yeah. I guess. And uh, here we are. They hand off the thermos to Braytac, who says the gold is young, but it might work. It might be too young. We don't know. We'll find out. And then we have another squealy hagfish going from the thermos into Braytac's hand, and then it will then go into Teal'c's pouch. We are, again, spared the view of that, but we do see the gasping horror on Teal'c's face. Yep, and I hated all yes. of this as yes. well. Elsewhere in the forest, a bunch of Jaffa run up and find all of the dead guys that Sam <laughs> killed with the grenade and blow a horn and at the gate a priest hears that horn and sends the Jaffa off that were with him to go and check out the scene and see what's happening back with SG-1 and everyone else Tilk is better and he's the one that ends up carrying Ryak which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me since he was kind of just on death's door so make him carry the kid? Why doesn't uh, someone else maybe carry he the insisted, kid? But I yeah. guess he wants to carry his own son <laughs> Jack asks how Tilk is doing, and Tilk says that he's feeling better, and the kid wakes up and is thrilled that he's got a gold he of his very own. Yeah. At this point, Tilk tells him that he needs to follow the guidance of his mother and of Braytac. And the kid asks Tilk to stay, but Tilk says that he can't, because. but one day he's going to return to fight side by side with his son in order to free their people from the gods. And this whole scene just really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, because... Dreyak really doesn't seem to be opposed to the gold at this point. So they're talking like she's going to guide Ryak in the ways of the resistance, even though she's not part of the resistance and doesn't approve of the resistance. And also, why does the, the kid wakes up and is like, oh, you're leaving. Okay. But how did Ryak know that Tilk was going to leave? And why is Ryak happy to be thinking of 
fighting at his father's side to destroy the Gua'uld when he was just so happy, like, literally two seconds ago that he just got his own Gua'uld. So this whole conversation really didn't make any sense to me. I don't have any help with that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Dryak and Teal'c are saying goodbye, and Teal'c says that she should blame the dead priest on him and say that he tried to steal Ryak and she says that they're going to be okay. We hear horns blowing in the distance and so she says that they really need to go now and so SG-1 and Braytac head off and leave Dryak and Ryak behind. Dryak and Ryak and Braytac. Yep. So many acts. How cutesy. Yes. So they go find their costumes and Jack's like, I got to play it and Braytac's no, like, no, you're going to do what I say and you don't need these dumb costumes. And then and then they're <laughs> off to the gate. So the team is all up on a hill overlooking the Stargate and there are some, you know, priests and a Jaffa there, a warrior. Tilk puts his helmet back on and they approach the gate. So they're going to try deception again. We'll see how it goes this time. Uh, <laughs> Braytac greets them saying, behold, I have the traitors. And the priest's like, don't approach me and Braytac's like but I want to give these prisoners to Apophis and the priest is like no Braytac and Braytac says you know me I don't know why I'm just repeating all of this like verbatim Uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the priest acknowledges he's a great warrior but nobody can come until the palace guards get there and Braytac's like we'll wait but then he turns around and starts firing at the ground at their feet which was an odd choice to like Show them that you're about to attack them by firing a big line in the sand at their feet and giving them the chance to kill yeah. you first before you actually attack and them. And then he jumps through his ring of fire that he's just created. Wall of fire, I guess. And then... It wasn't a very big wall no, of fire. it's a tiny though. wall. He did a little hop. He hopped <laughs> yeah, over it. Was, he did. And then he beats everybody unconscious. Uh, yeah, yeah. He does. He's pretty bad. he's not bad for 133, as he says. And then... That gives them the opportunity for Daniel to go dial the gate while they have a little goodbye. A nice leisurely goodbye now that yeah. everyone is dead at their feet. Yeah. Actually, they're not actually Are they dead. D- but no, they're not dead. They actually say in a second. I feel like maybe that's why he shot at their feet. He didn't actually want to kill them. True. Which is, you know, different from everyone else in this episode. <laughs> yes. Who was like... Shooting up a tank of, of baby hagfish and throwing grenades at people. Daniel's a mass murderer. Yes, he is. So they have their goodbye, you know, they're a little worried about Braytac now that he's betrayed his his people and his god, and Braytac, you know, calls back, though, cross that bridge when we come to it, uh, that he learned from O'Neill earlier <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teal'c and Braytac both thank one another, and uh, Braytac is looking forward to teaching another young warrior about new worlds and false gods. Yes. So they have their farewell and they go. Before they go through the gate, those SG-1 turns around and the military people salute Braytac. That would be Carter and Jack. And Braytac holds his weapon above his head in return. And then they go through. Teal'c lingers for a second and then he also goes and Braytac leaves. The end. I thought it was I thought it was kind of funny that Daniel's alternative to a salute was to just kind of give him a weird wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he, like not even just like a normal way of goodbye, but he's he just is kind of like uh bye. <laughs> should have given him should have given him a thumbs up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fond of the thumbs up, like or maybe some up. finger guns. I like a thumbs up on yeah. Zoom. We use thumbs up all the time. Yeah, to say yeah. how's everyone doing today? Thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. Hopefully not thumbs down if you're bad. Uh, Hopefully thumbs up or thumbs sideways at least. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was it. How did you uh? like this episode mary i didn't like it at all (laughs) the episode like the episode itself was fine i didn't have the same kinds of issues with like the cringiness of the which was the the one that episode where sam got kidnapped what was the name of that one again oh um that was emancipation so i didn't have i didn't have the same issues with cringiness as like emancipation or the bad science of broken divide this time i didn't enjoy it just because of my own weird neuroses and (laughs) but the episode itself was was fine (laughs) Yeah. But I just hated it because it just creeped me out so many times <laughs> for so many reasons. Totally get it. <laughs> I think I liked this episode pretty well. Uh, it was 
it had its silly moments, but also some serious moments. And, mm-hmm. and I like that in an episode. Agreed. <laughs> I like Braytac. He seems fun. I hope we see more of him. Yes. Yeah, he's a good character. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I had no big issues with it other than that General Hammond is running a clown <laughs> car over there. I just... I don't know what he's doing, but... Uh, apparently neither does he. Yeah. <laughs> I want a job where I can just do whatever I want. I know, right? That'd be nice. That'd be great. Yeah. Go to work. Don't go to work. Go here. Go there. You know. Oh, kill I a think... bunch of people. Don't yeah. kill anyone. It's all good. Yeah. Mass murderer, Daniel. Actually, yeah. I don't like that part. That was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, well, the the fact that Sam points out that that would make them as bad as the gold, and then he does it anyway, that's, the I think, the most problematic part. Like, even if they had left out her line specifying how evil that would be to do, then I think yeah. that the scene wouldn't have seemed as awful. But the fact that she calls it out for being uh, essentially genocide of infants at that point, and then he does it anyway, that's one of the things I really hated yeah. about that scene so much. And I, I get Daniel really, really hates them because right. he lost his wife to them. Right, but of course, but still. That does not justify mass murder. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Even of Very really, agreed. really bad people. Yes. Because they're babies. Exactly. Bad babies are still babies. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right. What is happening next? What oh, we, what's shit. our next episode? I forgot about that. Let me uh, pull that up here. Oh, sorry. SG1 season one. Where are we on episode after Bloodlines? The next episode is called Fire and Water. Oh. And the description for that episode reads as follows from my booklet. <laughs> <laughs> the sg1 team is transported to a planet of opposites i know (laughs) the home of the sole survivor of an aquatic race what okay uh tilk o'neill and carter return to earth shell-shocked and disturbed can the team recover to find daniel and attempt a rescue I don't remember anything about this episode. The I'm going to read you the Wikipedia definition as well, and you can okay. decide like if we should include both or one or the other, yeah, which maybe. gives more information, so it might jog your memory. Yeah. The Wikipedia page for season one of Stargate SG-1 lists fire and water description as this. On P3X-866... Oh, now I remember. (laughs) I know. You just needed the planet name and you'd be fine. I just needed that designation. (laughs) Well, on that planet, SG-1 is given a false memory of Daniel's death by his alien abductor, Nem. Nem is a member of... This is way more descriptive, but that's spoilery. Nem is a (laughs) member of an amphibious species named Oannes and wants to know from daniel what happened to his mate amaroka in ancient babylon yeah that is actually the entire like summary of the episode (laughs) all right yeah (laughs) like we could probably stop it there and i still don't remember anything about this episode even though i must have seen it at least twice since i've watched the series through at least twice that i can remember but uh yep don't know that episode yeah both of these descriptions i feel are not satisfactory mostly because the one i just read to you says a planet of opposites. What the yeah, fuck does the that mean? That? I have no idea. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. Yeah. In two weeks. Yes. In Woo. the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast listening device you prefer. We are on just about all of them. Or you can also find us on YouTube. We greatly appreciate any reviews that you would like to give us, especially the good ones, because the bad ones don't help us, but the good ones do. <laughs> If you'd like to reach us, you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. We're at stargatesing. You can like our page on Facebook or you can join our Facebook group. 
You can visit our website, stargatesing.space, and if you're feeling generous, you can also visit us on patreon.com slash stargatesing, and any donations help to cover our production costs and possibly even help us to either do this more often or to release some bonus episodes. Woo! And I think that is everything I have to say about that. Sounded good to me. All right, fabulous. Well done. You have been listening to Stargatesing. I am Mary. I'm Kathy. The end. The end. (laughs) (laughs) She wants her toy back. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay.